Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. Welcome to this month's Brum Radio Book Show Podcast Edition. Listen all the way to the end for some bonus footage. Harriet Cummings talking about her novel, We All Begin as Strangers. Welcome to the Brum Radio Book Show with me, Mike Gale. Oh, I forgot my name there, and me, Blake Woodham. Uh, this is a monthly look at all things bookish in the Midlands and the world and the universe. Um, don't forget, you can contact us at, at Brum Radio Books, so at Brum Radio underscore books, or you can email us at bookclub at brumradio.com. And we're also now on the telephone. Yes, there's an elf, the bookish elf there uh, on the telephone. Uh, brackets, Catherine O'Flynn, celebrated novelist. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to answer the phone. And if you do want to call us, it's 0121-633-5534. We don't actually know where that telephone is. Oh, uh, but uh, here. Oh, you can? Oh, right. Yes, okay. yes. Um, we'll be terrified now if it, if it rings. <laughs> Please so, ring us. So ring us and see what happens. 0121-633-5534. So uh, essentially, please contact us if you... Uh, uh, want to talk about this month's uh, book of the month, if you want to talk about books that you've read, uh, if you're feeling lonely, suicidal, no. Um, <laughs> this is taking a dark turn. I've, no, uh, but please contact us. It's, uh, it's an interactive show and we'd love to hear from you. Um, this month's show is a little bit different to our normal show. Um, we've got we've got a bit of a YA theme this month, yes. haven't we? Yes, um, we have an interview with uh, the novelist Stephanie Gerber, who uh, wrote a book called Caraval. And she's our book of the month this month. That's right. And uh, I believe that Stephanie has a huge sort of online following, mm-hmm. and um, her book was, was number one in the uh, New York Times. It's certainly on the right? New York Times bestseller list. I won't oh, right, okay. say a legal oh, position. Oh, number one. Right, okay. Um, yes, but yeah. it, it was a very big success in the United States, and uh, it's been recently released over here in hardback so uh, and that's what we're going to talk about and we've also got uh, an overview of the whole YA genre um, from uh, blogger Michelle Toy of the tales of yesterday put my teeth in tales of yesterday blog and uh, she'll be talking about YA and we'll be having a bit of a discussion about mm. YA I know some of us feel quite strongly for it some of us feel strongly against it I think we should probably stress for this point for listeners that don't know what we're talking about YA stands for young adult of course yes um, yeah. which is a sort of defined as around I don't know, 14 plus? I've, I've no idea. We didn't have YA when I was young. No. Uh, we just had books. We just had A. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, okay, and um, we have a special uh, additional guest in the studio who will know a little bit more about books in general. Uh, Sam from Warstones. Hello, Sam. Why, hello. Pleasure to be here. Um, Can we just say, Sam, that uh, you are considerably more handsome than Stuart? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that uh, that's been recognised. And your well, beard is much more luxurious. <laughs> Excellent. Well, also, duly noted, I'll be sure to pay you both off shortly. <laughs> <laughs> no, Stuart, you are very handsome as well. We, we all love you and we've missed you. Uh, we want to have you back, so we're, we're looking forward to seeing you soon. Um, we've also got, uh, we, oh, we're going to have a little bit from um, another local author mm. as well, aren't we? We get a bit of a masterclass mm. from Harriet Cummings. Uh, she's got a debut novel, We All Begin as Strangers, and uh, she's going to be giving some tips for debut authors. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, so, Blake, what have you this month, uh, and this is going to be quite a embarrassing thing potentially for me to admit. It, it, it doesn't have to be embarrassing. I have been dusting off my the greatest novel written in the English language. Oh yes, um, or the first half of it um, that I started writing uh, about two years ago, and um, and have been judging whether or not to go back to it. What 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 made you dig it out? Or what made you first of all? What made you stop writing? And what made you dig it up again? What, one of the things that made me stop writing was doing this. <laughs> it's really oh, right, okay. To be honest, because it suddenly take up a lot more of my time. Um, but also because I started meeting, I started meeting lots of writers and reading lots of books and yeah. thinking, who am I kidding? Um, and I think that was part of it. I had a real sort of confidence boost. However, as I got to know you and Catherine more. Um, <laughs> Oh, wait a cotton picking minute. Uh, I think we've just been dissed. No, and that that was a big part of it. Um, uh, But, you know, recently I keep, uh, you know, keep coming back and 
as part of this show we only ever talk about books we like we only yes. ever talk, so, but, but that doesn't mean I only ever read those so I do read books I don't like and I yes. thought you know what some of these I'm ones, I could do I could write a, I could write a bad book um, so that's been the plan <laughs> yeah. so yes I, I've written about 50,000 words and I went Fantastic. And well, thought, congratulations. Well, yeah, but there's been a big pause. Um, yeah. I, my main characters, it was all building up to a huge argument between two of my main characters. Oh, yeah. And then they started, and I, I felt so depressed about sitting in on it that I haven't been able to go back since. So uh, they're sort of stuck in the middle of this argument. Wow, well, you, you feel for your character um, so much that you can't continue their story. That's a, that's a, that's a great... Uh, that's a great story. So um, I think you're right. Um, in terms of... Um, reading bad books you know when I first started writing um, I read I read I stopped reading good books because they were putting me off writing because you kind of think to yourself I could never write as good as this and I started reading lots of bad books and just thinking I could be at least as bad as this and uh, obviously I proved them right um, uh, but, but what I always tell people who want to write is um, publishers can only publish books that have been written and so you could be the best writer in the world but unless you get your book done um, it's not it's not going to get published mm. and so you have to get to the end and so I tell people write and write and write and write and write don't edit just get to the end because you can always make your first draft better but what you can't do is is get a half-finished book published, mm. and so you know, just got you've got to keep on plugging at it. Let go of the idea that your characters are, are going to fall apart if they have this argument, and just get to the end because you cannot, you know, whatever is wrong with it can be fixed in edits. But what you can't do is is edit something that isn't finished. That's quite profound. Um, um, I, tr I try to be profound every, every now and again. It is actually yeah. obviously incredibly yeah. true. I mean, I remember saying this. I was talking to an author recently who. You know, who I think had been, it was a debut author and had been assailed by, you know, loads and loads of good reviews and then sort of one bad review oh, yes, that really yes. sort of stuck in their heart. Yeah. And, you know, you want to say to me, one thing that you have unambiguously written is the end, uh, which almost anyone who tries to write a book oh, never gets to. So it's a great achievement. So. And invariably, you find those people who do write those kind of one star reviews are frustrated writers who believe that they could write this book themselves and mm. yet they haven't written mm. their own books and. Or maybe they have and they're just languishing in a drawer somewhere. So, um, yes. Oh, not Stephanie, I'm bitter on Stephanie Gerber, who, who we interviewed for the show, uh, the novel, this Caravan novel, which has been her sixth book. She's oh, written yes, five yeah. books that were published, just kept going. Just kept going. And, I, and, and, and she said, as she wrote the, the sixth one, you know, she felt like this is as good as I could get, but it took that long. But, but that's the really good thing. I mean, that's someone who's obviously got writing in their heart and their blood, in their soul, and they're not going to let, a, you know, a lack of a publishing deal stop them from writing. And I think, you know, so often it, it's, you know, I've written one book and, you know, that's it and I'm going to give up. And every writer um, or lots of writers have got many unpublished novels in their drawers and probably don't want them to see the light of day but they wouldn't be where they are today if they hadn't have written those kind of starter novels if you will fantastic and so that's what i've been doing staring at a computer and, and fantasizing about you know having a finished cover yeah. uh, what have you been doing well i've um i've been reading um reading has suddenly become my bag again um <laughs> I, I suppose because i, I i've i've, I've I'm in between books, book yes, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm in between books. <laughs> um, so I've just finished reading um, "Lie with Me" by Sabine um, Durant, uh, which was either last year, last summer's big book, or uh, this summer's big book. I can't remember which, but it was on a Richard and Judy uh, book list, and it, it, it's it was um, it's very good. It's very well written, and it's one of those frustrating ones. It's like half of a brilliant book half of a book that didn't really know what to do with itself once it stopped being brilliant and uh, it, it's a story of the uh, of, a, of, of a bit of a cad essentially uh, who you sort of uh, who lies at every turn and who managed to wrangle himself on holiday uh, with a very middle class um, group of friends from um, Cambridge and uh, with all their family and kids and everything and there's, there's a murder and a rape and all sorts of things and uh, he ends up getting sucked into something of which a crime which he is actually innocent of um, and it's very 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 well written but just just lack of that little bit at the end really for me and um, I've also been writing uh, I've also well planning uh, a new novel mm -hmm. so uh, I've been um, 
we can talk about this with Catherine, but um, it's it's that weird. It's quite a weird situation when you want to begin a book and you go right. What shall I write about? And um, you know, without a brief, it, it's just like well, I could write about starships or elves or whatever. And it's trying to find out that what story do you want to tell is uh, is quite an interesting journey, and um, it usually involves me getting out all the books that I really like, watching loads of films that I really like, seeing if I can find some inspiration from there. And then, um, so yes, yes, I'm, 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 that's where I am at the moment. It's really interesting you say that because that's the time you think, oh, I would, I would imagine that, that you could, you would want to avoid those things like other books and stories to, yeah. to stop you getting guided, but it sounds like you actually do it Well, no, it, yeah. Um, I think for me, it's about being just, just thinking about the themes and, and thinking about things that, I want to say and you know thinking about benchmarks as well um you know when you when you kind of get out you you know sometimes I'll you know I might watch some old Woody Allen films and you just think ah oh, that's the benchmark um or if, if just or just remind you of things that are good um so yeah that's where I, I sometimes I, I find myself <laughs> Uh, I was nodding along to the music. No one else could hear it. Now, so they all thought I'd just gone insane. <laughs> no, that was uh, the uh, Birmingham Blues because we're going to be talking about upcoming events with our special guest, Sam from Waterstones, Birmingham. Hello, Sam. Handsome Sam. Handsome, handsome Sam with a beard. Handsome pursuit <laughs> Sam. Um, so um, as we, we know, uh, Waterstones uh, here in Birmingham host many events. So what have we got coming up that you're interested in? Well, I have a couple of uh, bits and pieces here that I'm particularly looking forward to, uh, and they all fall in the same week uh, of this month. It begins with a very interesting fiction panel discussing crime and thriller writing with AJ Cross, GX Todd, and Gillian McAllister. Oh. Um, that oh. one promises to be really Friends interesting. Friends of the show. Friends of the show. GX we Todd like Gillian Todd and McAllister. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, just, just, as, just for reference for any uh, authors listening, um, GX Todd, I hosted her event and as a thank you she sent me a crate of beer and I'm extremely grateful for that so anyone else out there <laughs> likes to send crates of beer just saying <laughs> carry on Sam um, and then next a very different type of event but one that uh, again I think promises to be really really interesting uh, and a book that I'm just about to begin reading is a non-fiction event with Jamie Bartlett uh, discussing radicals and radical groups so any and all groups uh, within the world who are campaigning to change the status quo, who see the system and just want to do away with it and, and, and come up with something new. Uh, he looks at radical environmentalists. He looks at groups campaigning for social change within gender rights and equality, all kinds of things. So again, I think that one promises to be really who interesting. Is he? I've not heard of him. Who, who is he? Is he? Um, I believe this is his first book. I know he lives in London right. um, and has done various bits within journalism mm -hmm. and, and lecturing. Um, so the, he, he's spent a lot of time close to the heart of the system and has become quite interested in these, as I said, these groups just doing different things. So again, change of pace, but that one I think could be very interesting and hopefully we'll get some good questions at that one as well. I've got my eye on that. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, anything else? And then finally we have a bumper day, which is the 26th of May. Uh, and we have two events, both of which promise to be uh, great successes based on early sales uh, for tickets. We have Corey Doctorow, or Doctorov, never quite sure. Um, he is joining us to sign his new novel, Walk Away, um, which if anyone hasn't seen the cover, I implore you to Google gorgeous, it because it's yeah. beautiful and, wow. and get the dust jacket off. Um, I always love it when books have great things under the dust jackets. Um, and then that's at one o'clock. Uh, so it's an early uh, during the day event. And then at 6.30, we have Paul Flynn, um, who will be joining us to talk about his book, Good As You, which is a history of Britain uh, and its gay community and its various involvements in, in different aspects of British culture. Uh, and again, uh, I work someone who's read that and, and thought it was just superb. So that should be a bumper day to uh, end the month off. Fantastic. And I believe you've got some uh, an event or two. Yes, well, the very, um, very excited that, um, and I'll talk about pronunciations, Arundhati Roy, um, right. who won the Booker Prize in 1997 for The God of Small Things, has finally uh, written a follow-up novel. 20 years later. Talk about a lazy writer. Well, she has written numerous non-fiction novels in between. Um, so uh, this is a novel that takes a journey on, a, uh, the reader on an intimate journey through the cramped neighbourhoods of Old Delhi and the glittering malls of the burgeoning new metropolis. 
across the snowy mountains and valleys of Kashmir, where war is peace and peace is war. From time to time, normalcy is declared. Um, and the event that she's doing is at the Town Hall in conjunction with Foils, which is another bookshop uh, in Birmingham. Um, and uh, you can go along to that. Go to the... Uh, it's part of Birmingham Literature Festival, so you can get it through their website or through the Town Hall. Um, and you can hear her speak, uh, ask questions, and get a copy of the novel as well. So um, that is... Um, it's all exciting. What about you? Um, I've got... Uh, Writers West Midlands have got their National Writers Conference. I, I was there last year, and it was, I can vouch for it. It was very good. It's a very good day. Uh, it's on June the 10th at 9.30am till 4pm, and there'll be uh, all manner of um, of writers and uh, sort of conferences and sort of uh, sessions that you can go to. Um, so that's... Um, Saturday, 10th of June at Bramall Music Building, University of Birmingham. Uh, it's a 9.30 a.m. registration. Uh, it's £60 for the day, £54 for concessions. And um, yes, I can absolutely recommend it. And I think there's lunch and refreshments are thrown in too. Uh, so um, places are limited, so book early to avoid disappointment. And um, so we, uh, we've got Catherine. Hello. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. <laughs> you seem very meek. <laughs> so, well, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm across a bit bombastic, so I just wanted to be a little bit more, you know, No, don't be bombastic. I've never said you come across as bombastic. <laughs> it's my own harsh judgment of okay. myself afterwards. Uh, Catherine's going to be talking about um, the book Little Deaths by Emma Flint. I am, Which is a yes. daydream novel, which we'll be talking about later on. Um, and we're also going to be talking about all things young adult mm. as well. Um, are you a... Do you know much about this area? No, like I was, I was remembering when you were talking about it earlier, saying it didn't exist. I remember when I was little, there was a section in the library called teen fiction, mm. which I guess was the equivalent, and that was always very exciting to me. And I'd sort of started reading books in teen fiction before I was teen, such as myself. Ah. And I remember, you know, reading all kinds of marvellous uh, books. There a whole tr uh, set of books by someone called Joan Lingard about Northern Ireland called Across the Barricades. And yeah, they have such a big effect on you. Those kind of, you know, I guess that sort of 10, 11, 12 onwards books you read. Yeah, but no, I have no experience of the current youth adult novel because my kids were a little bit too young for that. And, you know. Uh, and you and you regard yourself as too old for it. Well, no, I'm sure I'd enjoy it massively, but yeah, I, there's, the, the pile is too big. Too. Well, we, we are going to be talking about a particular novel, Caraval, by Stephanie Gerber, yeah. um, and um, we have also got an introduction to it. So uh, uh, remember, we've uh, we got our blogger today, Shelley Toy from Tales of Yesterday, um, and she is uh, going to give us a little bit of an introduction to um, YA, and then I think we're going to have a little bit of discussion about it. Young adult fiction, or YA as it's commonly known, became a huge part of my life back in 2014. One day I was stumbling across the internet looking up some nostalgic books um, from my youth and I stumbled across uh, an author who seemed to have liked the same books as me from when I was younger, um, which was the Point Horror books, which I grew up as a, with as a teen. Um, this author was Juno Dawson. Now, her books seemed to capture my attention. I was absolutely blown away by Cruel Summer by Juno Dawson. At the time of reading, I did not realise that this came under a genre of YA. It had everything that I love in a book, um, a thriller, a bit of a mystery set on a sunny island um, with a massive big twist at the end and characters that I just adored completely. It wasn't until after finishing the book that I realised that there was a whole world of books like this out there in the form of YA books. It was around this time that I then became introduced to the YA community on social media, mainly Twitter, and I just got talking about these books um, with all these varied characters and all these different stories, whether it be fantasy, contemporary, horror, sci-fi. There was just such a range out there, and I got so many recommendations from just chatting about the books in this community that it really opened my eyes to how amazing YA actually is. And I'm definitely not the target audience of a YA book. 
Um, I'm now 37 years old, but that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy them as much as anyone else. Um, and I actually find it quite relevant. Um, I have a 12 year old son and a lot of the books I read, I then pass on to him to read. Sometimes it's really good that if he reads the same book as well, we can have a really good discussion about it. The amount of talent that we actually have in the YA world of literature is just amazing. The likes of Non Pratt, who writes books with teenagers that even within the first couple of pages, you think that you're, you've known them for ages. They're your best friends um, and that's just how she writes the characters so well. Her books, Trouble and Remix, and I know her new one, Truthful Dare, is ju- they're just phenomenal books. Lisa Heathfield, um, her books, Seed and Paper Butterflies, and her new one, Flight of a Starling, are just phenomenal. Kerry Stainton, David Owen, Eve Ainsworth, Catherine Webber, and Melinda Salisbury, who writes epic fantasy that will just tear your heart out and repair it all at the same time. One of the best things as well as the books about YA, as I've said before, is the community. And I can honestly say joining with the community as much as you can um, because I've made some absolutely lifelong friends from discovering YA. YA has opened a whole new world for me and I will always love it, always. And that was um, Steph- uh, Shelley Toy uh, from Tales of Yesterday, um, our YA blogger for their blog spot this month. YA, where do you stand on it? Have you read any? Um, well, apart uh, from this month's book, I'm obviously. obviously this month's book. Well, I, I originally thought, no, I haven't. Then I thought, of course, uh, everyone read Harry Potter yeah. and read Philip Pullman. Yeah. Um, so I thought, oh, you know, those were those was kind of perhaps the tent poles of all of that sort of stuff that's kicked it all off. Um, so I guess I have read more. But obviously, I used to be a teenager and I read all the kind of Judy Bloom and all those types of things back then. But it was really good going back and reading this. I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it I have to admit it's quite an interesting one because um, you know we were talking in the intro you know um, that you know for me at least you know when we, I was going I didn't feel like there was a YA section or or what there was there was a as Catherine said there was that teenage section and I deliberately avoided that um, you know because I didn't like want anything addressed to me you know how patronising so I, I remember going straight from my, with my junior blue ticket going straight to adult books and um, I remember trying to take out uh, Peter Benchley's Jaws on my junior ticket <laughs> and the uh, librarian who decided that she was the moral arbiter for uh, Quinton said, um, <laughs> <laughs> said um, you, can't take, you can't take this out on the junior ticket and I was just like but I, I've read you know and I've read I was, I was reading I went through a whole stage of reading um Footballers' biographies, you know, at the age of twelve. And, oh, and you thought somehow that was a bridge to Jaws. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought, why, why are you stopping me from reading Jaws? Mm. And um, I, I did read Jaws eventually because there were some librarians who were much more lax. There's a film of it actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but I, I did. I didn't quite get the whole idea of having a book aimed at me. Although yeah, I, I think, did. I think it's really developed now uh, into into something that. Is the line is so blurred, you know? When I picked this this caravan up, and yeah. it, even until when I spoke to Stephanie, uh, I I couldn't be sure whether this was who this was aimed at, and I had to ask it: Is this a YA book? Because you you know, there's no obvious way of telling when you look at these. They look like very you know similar to to the adult fantasy novels or whatever it may be. And um, and you know, I don't think you know, I think it's, it, there's an interesting debate to be had about whether or not it's even you know there is a line because obviously a lot of adults read these and people in their twenty. I mean, here's a question for Sam. Um, as a, as the man on the floor, as it were, um, who who are you finding is buying YA? Is it actually teenagers? Well, increasingly, no. Well, yes and no. Teenagers are buying them, and it is hugely popular amongst that demographic. But again, we mentioned earlier off my. The, the Harry Potter generation who grew up reading those books are now in their 20s, um, even 30s. They're still reading it as well. Um, parents are reading it, as you said, to, mm-hmm. to get to know what their, their children are, are looking at. But also I think for some people, uh, some of the older readers of, of YA, it's a way of understanding all these new ideas that are coming out and are, are, are so uh, on topic 
in the, in the wider world, a lot of these themes are being addressed in, in YA because it's been very, very quick to adapt to, to new trends as they emerge. So it, it really is a mixed bag. It's, it's quite a weird one because obviously you've got the fantasy stuff as well, but you know, you've got the sort of John Green stuff. Mm. Um, you know, I, and I've read um, all the John Green stuff and really enjoyed it. And mm. I, I wouldn't have thought it, it just felt like those sort of, um, do you remember those, oh, is it Betsy Byers books? Like the 18th Emergency and things like that. I, I used to read those as a, and I never really thought of them as being kind of teenagers' books, but they were sort of about American high schoolers mm. uh, going through, you know, getting bullied and, and stuff like that, but they'd have some sort of quirky element to it. But I mean, you know, would, would Adrian Mole be um, YA now? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, it's, it's about these issues that these, these kids have. One of the things that was interesting, again, in the discussion with, with Stephanie Gilbert, which we'll play in a moment, is you know, she talks about how the publishers very... One of the things that they are very conscious of is not having young children in them. Yeah. Because, you know, kids don't necessarily want to read about anything that's younger than them. Yeah. So the characters are always either the age of the reader or a little bit older. Uh, and this this book starts with a kind of correspondence by the main character when she's sort of nine, yeah. and she said that you know they did originally say they didn't they didn't want that in, but she she felt it was important to have it in. So the, I mean, there obviously is some kind of dimension. Of, of and I suppose the targeting. the other side of it is that, that there's always you know there's a strong connection with you know they come in trilogies, they get made into films, mm. and so there's this almost a kind of big head of steam behind them that you know. With the film coming out, you've got to read all of the Divergent series, or you've got to read all of the whatever series. Mm. Um, so there, it, it just feels like you've got a whole generation reading the same thing at the same time, which mm. is quite an interesting thing, and obviously something that you don't get as an as a you know in the adult world. Yeah, yeah. Um, shall we l talk about Caraval? Um, we have an introduction to the novel. Someone explaining who it is, who knows what they're talking about. That person is the author. Caraval is a story about two sisters, Scarlett and Donatella, who all their life have wanted to visit this magical game slash performance. For years, the older sister, Scarlett, has been begging um, the mysterious man, Legend, who runs it. Every year, she writes him a letter asking him to bring his players to their tiny island so that the sisters can play this game. Um, and she doesn't hear from him until finally, after seven years, he writes back. And then they get the letter and they get their chance to go. But the game is a little more than they bargained for. Um, it's a sort of game where it makes you question what's real, what's a game, what's magic, what's illusion. And I think it's a lot of fun. So that life. Catherine. That sounds, uh, that sounds interesting. What did you think of it? How did you find the book? I really, really, I really enjoyed it. I, I, it was, uh, it's sort of um, fantasy sort of um, Venice type of environment it, right. it beautifully written very sumptuous very evocative of this kind of sort of faux medieval city with a little bit of magic going on um, and I found I really I, I was not expecting to to be honest I thought it was going to be you know I didn't expect it to be that terrible or anything but I didn't expect to be quite as engaged as I did I read it in, in two sittings I just sat and read it in two sittings because I really enjoyed it what do you think like reading it what did you feel was like defined it as young adult rather than adult how would you well been able that's to the thing I mean I don't think you know, there was anything it, it was there was a lot of adult themes in it there's a lot of um, um, peril magic all of those things that, that adult fantasy novels have I think you know the main character was a sort of 18 year old girl um, and it was very much a sort of coming of age story of her she's been thrust into this adventure that she didn't really want to be into quite and she's having to come to terms with danger and coming out of her father's shadow and all that kind of stuff so it's very much sort of about that but again lots of adult novels are about that and, exactly. and we're always about you know it's always about people coming under you know coming into their own and, and learning yeah. about themselves so uh, i think it was just the fact that maybe that's the way it's marketed you know i don't sure. really know so i, I wouldn't i wouldn't I wouldn't have known necessarily um, that it was, particularly compared to fantasy novels. I don't read many of those, but uh, I know I, when I used to work in a, a second-hand bookshop, I know that the people I work with just find it really hard to know where the fantasy novels ended and the young adult novels began. I think that's a problem with, with genre, you know, yeah, full yes. stop, isn't it? I you guess know, it's. So. Um, 
But is there nothing particularly off-topic in a young adult novel? You know, nothing that you think... You know, are there certain things that are considered too adult, or is it generally just... I don't think so, okay. because, I mean, they do have... They do have... You know, Sam was saying earlier off, off my... You know, they, you know, you'll have these... You know, you'll have terrible things happen. They'll deal with racism. They'll deal with, you know, violence. They'll deal mm. with sexuality. They'll deal with all these big themes. The war. Um, sure. You know, they'll deal with all these things that adult... But I, I think that the thing that is off topic is is adults. I mean, it, it's about the, the the kind of teenage experience, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so you know, middle aged men probably don't feature in it a lot unless they're the bad guys, yeah. and uh, they don't really want to identify with a middle aged man. Um, yeah. Who does? Absolutely <laughs> not me. <laughs> My back is killing me. Um, well, we have an interview with her talking about it. So, shall we play the first part of that, and then yeah, we can yes. come back and discuss it a little bit more? The thing that makes the game different as well is the that it blurs the line between the audience and the players. Yes, yes. It, it strikes me that sort of is very much how modern life is. Is it is it meant to be a reflection on reality TV and that kind of thing? Ooh, I hadn't thought of it that way. I may, you know, I think sometimes like you can say that as a subconscious things happen. But honestly, I wasn't trying to reflect anything. I just wanted to like write the game that I wanted to play that I thought would be a cool experience. So what came first then, uh, the game or the characters? The game, the game. I had the idea for Carol about a year and a half before I started writing it. Um, so it was the sixth book I'd written. Um, the first five were never got published. And so as I was like waiting, you know, I was, my fifth book was being submitted to editors and no one was reading it. I was brainstorming Caraval and I had the idea for the game. So I had this idea, but I didn't know how to play out until I, um, came up with my first character who was a legend. There's a, um, dystopian novel called Legend by Marie Lu and it came out, um, maybe four or five-ish years ago. And I remember picking it up and thinking about, it was about a character named Legend. And I was very excited. It isn't about a character named Legend, but so I still liked the novel. And so for a long time, I'd been hunting for a book with a character named Legend until finally I decided, um, I was listening to the Fallout Boy song, Centuries where I feel it kind of reflects my character legend. And that's where I got the inspiration. I was like, I should just write about a character named Legend. And so the minute I came up with him and figured out, like, who is this dude that calls himself Legend, you know, and that he's the one running this game, that's where it slowly, he was my first character. And from there, I just slowly started adding players to the game board. And it's not the complete story. We know from the end of the book that there is a continuation What's the what's the plan? Ooh, yes. So a second book is coming out. I can say it's coming out sometime next year. And it's from a different character's perspective. And if you finish the book, it gives a strong hint as to who that character is. And will there be will there be more trips to Caravan? In the second book? No, I mean after that. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I'm still waiting to find out that one. I I can say I love I'm having a lot of fun with the second book. I'm almost done with it and I really I really like the world and I like the character, so I'd be happy to keep playing around in it if people, you know, are still excited. So that was the uh, second, the first part of our interview with Stephanie Gerber, author of Caraval. Mm-hmm. And um Blake, yes. What, what, what was your sort of standout moment from the book? There, there's lots of moments. As I say, the theme of it. One of the the things I really liked in it, in that um, the character Scarlet has, she goes into into this kind of magical place. So Caraval is both a place and uh, an event, sort of simultaneously. So it's this kind of magical game that takes place in this sort of enchanted city. And she has uh, some clothes that change. Her clothes are sort of a, a sentient in a way, and they sort of reflect her mood but not, she can't necessarily control it. So mm. suddenly they might get a little bit more, uh, um, you know, attractive um, if there's a bloke there that she fancies, even if she doesn't actually want to. And, and, and the, the clothes are almost alive. And I really like that idea that they kind of reflect your inner, because again, this comes back to how, you know, how teenagers think, you know, there's something, all these things going around. Mm. There's a whole center of this. There's a lot of it about this, this character, Scarlet suddenly sort of coming to terms with her body and discovering that she's attracted to other people and other people are attracted to her and and that's new and she's sort of having to sort of understand all that and the fact that you don't necessarily want people to know how you're feeling but nonetheless you feel like it's written on your face so that was a really nice one there's also a really nice um, really interesting sequence where she visits a, a fortune teller who is covered in tattoos and he can tell her future by 
the tattoos are all different images of what she looks at and what her eye is attracted to and it's almost like a cold reading really so the idea that it's magic is, is blurred because is, is it really magic or is it just you can see what her sort of innermost desires are by what she's actually her eyes are attracted to so there's a lot of stuff around that and as I say there's a lot of stuff around um, kind of this whole sort of difficulty of of becoming an adult when you're not necessarily wanting to but you know it's happening because you know, you're getting that age so um, I really enjoyed all that and I think it was I think particularly I think teenage girls would find it really good because I think it speaks to a lot of those things that I remember yeah. from being that age uh, but, but I think a lot of it is particular to girls as well you're listening to the Brum Radio Book Show. Um, you can remember you can tweet us at, at @brumradio uh, underscore books or email us at bookclub at brumradio.com. And of course, you can telephone us, um, Catherine Melanza, oh one two one six double three double five three four. Why are you, you not... encouraging us people to ring us? We have no <laughs> idea what we'll say, but just causing mental panic. Obviously, if you listen to this on uh, the podcast, um, <laughs> we'll, just ring well, you, well, you could ring, but you'll get a different show. Yeah. So, um, But um, uh, we're going to have the second part of our uh, Stephanie Gerber. So we're talking about um, Caraval by Stephanie Gerber, Garber, sorry, and uh, a New York Times bestseller. And this is the second part of her interview. Something you said earlier is quite an inspiration for people, which is, you know, you've written five novels before this. Did you know from the start this one was going to be different or is it, is it been a journey? Oh, it has been a journey. It has been, I remember, you know, and if I look at like some of my old journal entries, because I journal off and on, especially when I'm like really struggling. So my old journal entries are usually like the depths of despair and like, oh my gosh, I can't handle another rejection. Um, so Kiraval, it was more just like, all right, I'm just going to write this one last book. Um, because with every book, it was kind of like, I knew I could do better. And I was like, all right, I know. And I was learning with every book. And I knew like the first, especially the first four books I wrote, you know, I would have been shocked if someone wanted to publish them, even though I pursued it. Cause I was like, okay, I finished the book. Maybe someone can help me make these publishable. Um, if someone was like, yes, Stephanie, we want to buy this. I would have been kind of like, are you sane? <laughs> um, so I knew they needed work, but then like when I wrote my fifth book, I, I felt pretty good about it. You know, I learned a lot from other people. I had an agent, I'd gotten a lot of input. I'd gone to conferences, I'd read everything. Um, and so by the time I wrote Caraval, one, it was, it'd been a long time. I was living with my parents. Um, I didn't know how much further I could take this. And I was like, this is the best I can do. And so for this book, I did approach it a little differently because, um, I wasn't, you know, when I first started writing, I just poured out of my heart and soul. And I wasn't thinking about publishing or anything. I was just telling stories that I had fun with that weren't maybe good, but, um, with care. And so, you know, somewhere along the lines that I learned more about publishing, which is valuable. I also started thinking more about markets and trends and all that stuff that you just really shouldn't think about. Cause I don't think it's necessarily good for creativity. And so with Caraval, I just went back to like, okay, I, I'm not going to think about the market. A lot of my friends had told me like, oh, publishers have been buying a lot of fantasy. The fantasy trend's going to die. Um, an editor I met at a conference was even like, mm, circusy themes. There's a lot of stuff out there. This book probably will not sell. Um, there are letters at the beginning and my main character starts off writing them. And I felt really strongly about the letters, but it's also, I think she's like nine years old with the first one, maybe, which, you know, you're not supposed to write a young adult novel starting from the perspective of a nine-year-old, but I just knew that was where I was supposed to go and I wanted to do it. So I just, I did the things that were like burning in my heart with this book rather than thinking about the market. So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to put everything I have into it. And then it was like, if it doesn't work out, it's just not meant to be because I can't do any better than this. Our eagle eared listeners will detect you are from the United States. So uh, how you've, how's it been coming over here and, and touring the book in the UK? It has been so much fun. It's really, um, I mean, I was excited to be here. My, my brother and my sister and my dad had all been to London before and they all loved it and they'd all told me how wonderful it was. And, um, and I'd never been, so I was excited to come and just... The readers have just 
been tremendous. Um, I met a lot via Twitter and Instagram. So it was nice, like actually having conversations in real life. And, um, it's been nice getting outside of London and meeting people in other places. Um, and I've just been so impressed because I, I like to do things with friends. So, um, I remember the first book signing I went to, and I went with two friends and I was really nervous. And a lot of people have just come on their own and said, this is my first signing. So I've just, it has been just the best experience I've. And I mean, I just really like it here. It's, it's just way more exciting than where I live. That was uh, Stephanie Gerber um, uh, talking about Caraval. That was the second part of our interview with her. Um, before we talk a little bit more about the book, Catherine, I just wondered whether you've ever thought about writing a, a, anything for a YA audience. Um, I haven't. I haven't really directly. I mean, I, I guess the last couple of years I've been working on a novel for older children, but mm. not quite the YA thing. So I think I, I, I certainly don't think that it would. Uh, it's it's impossible because I don't really feel that you know you're kind of particularly tied to one um, demographic. Are you? I think sometimes it's just the. Um, the story that you want to tell might be right for different audiences. So, um, yeah, I can see I could see it happening in the future. It's not something I would ever rule out, but it's uh, it's not something I've done so far. And um, Sam was just saying um, off air about there's there's quite a few sort of adult authors getting into this game as well. Definitely, not just young adults. Sometimes for young children as well. But yeah, there's definitely people, and some of whom you wouldn't necessarily immediately think of, the James Pattersons and whatnot of this world, who do have obviously a very traditionally adult audience are getting into it more and more and I think you're going to see more of that happening as well I think there'll be some big names going into it um it, it's too too big a market and too interesting a thing to, to get to grips with and imagine as an established author there'd be a lot of satisfaction in getting to grips with that kind of new challenge perhaps of course JK Rowling's gone the other way you know started off oh, of course, yeah, one age yeah, yeah. space and is now writing adult fiction so the the line is blurring rapidly and i think it also it speaks to, to writers in general sort of not wanting to kind of stay in the box mm -hmm. you know um i suppose when you've been writing uh you know when you're writing hard-boiled thrillers um you know time after time after time it might be uh quite interesting to be uh, writing about you know some sort of a teenager with sort of various teenage problems so um but I, you know i don't think that I think if people try it cynically, then they're going to get in a lot of trouble because yeah. kids can spot this or young oh, people can oh, spot absolutely. this immediately yes, yeah, and yeah. think, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to write a quote-unquote easy one, then it'll yeah. be a disaster. Yeah. And the, uh, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it, when you get authors who manage to do that sort of blending perfectly, which obviously, you know, like with Mark Haddon, that was a famous example of one that would appeal to younger yes. readers and older readers, but also yeah. like Meg Rossoff's first novel and also, remember, Louis Sacker's Holes, which oh, had like, course, a lot of yeah. adults yeah. like that as well. Had a Mouth Heat. Yeah, really yeah, that yeah. Kind of I mean, that's thing. that's a great thing when you get that. I don't know how they, I don't know how they manage to bridge that kind of chasm, but it's a great, a great achievement. But I think, I think for some people, it's um, you know, it's a, it's a necessity, you know, um, just in terms of you know, adult books, you know, uh, might be coming out irregularly, so you you've got time to do other things in in, and also you, you're looking at audiences, so you know, books. As long as you're writing books and as long as they're interesting, it doesn't really, you know, you don't really, I'm not really sure I think about audience that mm. much in, in, uh, in that term. So I think the Brum Radio Book Show position is books are books. Books are Fantastic. Um, well, you can still get Caraval, of course. Caraval um, is uh, C-A, well, it's Car Carnival without an N. Uh, no, well, uh, C-A-R, <laughs> I can't make a mess of this. Caraval, look it up, you'll find it. A uh, really nice book. And similar to what Sam was saying about the Cory Doctorow one, it's one of these books where the slipcase reveals if you open it up there's lots of different covers so if you're in if you're in a shop go through and see them all and select one that you prefer do you so like booksellers that's uh, caraval um by stephanie garber that's the brum radio book show book of the month um, we give it a, a massive thumbs up and that of course brings us to Catherine. thumbs ups <laughs> I am the Fonz. <laughs> right, what's your... I met the Fonz recently. Oh. He has a thing about wearing... Um, oh, he writes children's shirts. books. He writes children's yeah, books. Yeah, nice. Um, and they're really good. And it, it, he, one of the things, he was he has very bad dyslexia. 
and I'm talking about Henry Winkler, the author, not yeah. the Fonzer character. Um, and uh, and he wanted, I and mean, I think he was told he couldn't write when he was a kid, so he's, yeah. it's very much driven him. Uh, and the kids love him, TV series of them. And yeah, Hank, no, Hank Zipser. Hank Zipser, yeah. 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 Um, but he always wears two shirts for some reason. I think that's his thing. Um, oh, right. Is it, there is too much to say. I, I can't go there. Right. <laughs> Catherine, like well, who's your debut this month? Uh, the debut this month is Emma Flint and her book is called Little Deaths. Would you Fantastic. like me to talk about yes, it? Yes, please. Okay. So, um, yeah, Emma Flint here. is a British author, but she's writing uh, the book is set in Queensborough of New York in 1965. I think, if, actually, I was, I was quite surprised she was British. I mean, obviously, I'm not American, so I can't tell what yeah. is and isn't an authentic American voice, but it felt very authentic to me. Sometimes when you feel read British authors trying to be American, it comes mm. across as trying a little hard. Anyway, that's by the by. So this is... Um, story the main character here is called Ruth Malone but it's actually based on a true story um, of a woman called Alice Crummins and it's actually based quite closely on this on this true story so in the novel Ruth Malone is an attractive divorcee she drinks a lot she has lots of boyfriends she was unfaithful to her husband when they were together um, and she's also a single mother to two little kids called Cindy and Frankie and the book's kind of starting point is the morning she wakes up and finds Cindy and Frankie gone from their bedroom. Um, and their bodies are subsequently found dumped in two different locations and the murder investigation begins. So it's a grim, a grim sort of story. Um, and the book tells the story from two viewpoints, that of Ruth herself and of a character called Pete Winicky, I think is how you pronounce it, who's a rookie tabloid reporter who's been sort of sent in to sensationalise it, really. But mm. as the book goes on, it sort of feels less and less happy with that and feels more and more sort of empathy with um, Ruth. It's made clear right from the start that the police think that Ruth's lifestyle is all the evidence they need to consider her guilty. Um, so the book really is like uh, an examination of that deeply embedded sort of misogyny and du double standards for women. You know, Ruth is just not, it's, it's considered not a right mother. She's all wrong. You know, she goes out, she drinks, she sleeps around. She goes out and buys an outfit as soon as she hears about her children's deaths. But what's fascinating about the book is that you get this outside perception of Ruth and then you get your inside her head as well and you get obviously a very different um, picture of her from the inside. I think the author's excellent at building up this really complex, nuanced portrait of her and she's absolutely filled with kind of self-loathing and disgust, really kind of corporeal disgust. She kind of loathes her body and the way it smells and everything. But she also burns with like a desire for... A, a life of greater fulfillment you know she does have aspirations and desires she's not just this kind of victim so it's really it's a really interesting book really atmospheric I mean there is so much smoking in this book you actually feel like you're just <laughs> lying in an ashtray I wanted to take a shower after. it's insane it's like that fascio sketch where they're all like got about 27 cigarettes in their mouth it's um, constant coffee and cigarettes and it's got that very um, kind of ambivalent sultry noir atmosphere that you get in a lot of um, Megan Abbott's novels um, yeah. who I really love and who gives a um, blurb for this on the book um, the only thing I'd say as, which isn't, isn't intended criticism more as a kind of advice for anyone who's going to read this is when I started it from the way it looks and the way it begins you think aha this is a crime novel there's going right. to be all kinds of twists and turns and backs and forths and all kinds of revelations and it's not it's not at all it's it's A, it's very closely based on a true story, and B, it's primarily a character study. And so because of that, there's not actually a lot of new evidence that comes to light in the course of the 300 pages. What it is is you're sort of boring down deeper into the characters. Right. And so it can feel, there are parts of it where you think, this feels like it's dragging a little bit, but yeah. I don't think that's necessarily... A criticism is more that you've got to adjust your expectations, really. If you know that that's what you're going into reading, that you won't be thinking, hang on, when, when are we going to have the janitor coming yeah. in and being blamed? You know, it's not that kind of book. Um, that's not to say there isn't a resolution. There is a resolution, and it's, um, you know, so you, you do get an ending. But it's, it's a really, yeah, really evocative, haunting book, I think. So, yeah. It's an interesting point that you, you make there about how your mindset with a novel can affect... How yeah. you re actually read the novel. So yeah. 
you know, like like you say, if you come here as a, as a crime book, you're going to be thinking, come on, get to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. But if you sort of come of it as a character study, then you just go with go with the flow. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's such a strong portrait of this woman and the, the, the kind of uh, this terrible standards by which she judges herself and is judged by that. That is really fascinating. But mm. yeah, just because of the sort of momentum of it, at points you're thinking, well, 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 come on, where's the next bit of evidence? When's someone going to come bursting through the door? And, you know, you need to let go of that. There's a marvellous, um, I don't know if you've ever read any Paul Auster's New York trilogy, um, but one of those is very much, it starts off like a classic noir detective. Mm. There's a mystery and there's a detective and he's, he's following leads and, it, and then it just, the, the mystery just sort of fades away into the background as, as it gets more and more into this character of the detective and he just becomes uh, sort of obsessed with this mystery or this particular piece of evidence and just sort of drifts away. And then it, it really, you get to the end and you go, that, that was so expensive. and it really does it plays with that idea of this is what you're expecting I'm going to pull your rug out completely yeah. obviously in this case it sounds like it's not necessarily intentional it's just the nature of the next thing, and I think the actual the true story I was reading about it is so fascinating the actual Alice Crimmins she was convicted after two years after it happened she got convicted of it and was served prison then she was released on appeal then she was arrested again two years later served another two years got appealed again I think she served three different sentences um, and she's alive somewhere out there living you know incognito so it's this incredibly you know it, she's this divisive figure that yeah. you know um, yeah has, has been fair and I'm interested in these transitions you were talking about between the sort of outside character and the, the internal monologue how does that work well, you get you hear the um, a lot of the perspective of the police officers, wow. and particularly the guy who's heading the investigation, who is, you know, deeply, um, you know, obviously loathes her and loathes women and finds her disgusting, her lifestyle, <clears throat> and so. But at the same time, they obviously all find her very, you know, desirable, and there's this gaze on her all the time that's both sort of lascivious but also full of hate and it's it's really uh it's really well well conveyed i've been watching um i'm really late to the part about watching mad men recently mm. very much sounds like the same yeah. sort of thing it's just yeah. smoking constantly but also yeah. this you know the fact women were treated you know obviously mm. so appallingly yeah but you know just so um you know objectified constantly yeah. Yeah. and just utterly kind of you know, if they didn't fit into a particular character, then they were worth bothering about. It's absolutely horrendous. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I like the fact that she is not, you know, in it, she she does go out drinking and sleeping around even after her children are dead. She carries on because she's she's searching for something in her life. So she's not, you know, there's no sort of there's no black and white with her. There's no like, oh, but she was misunderstood. She's a really complicated character, mm. but that's what makes it uh, interesting. And in terms of standout moments, can you think of any? Or well, I was, I was, yeah, I was anticipating you asking me this, and I thought I'm not. It's, it's kind of a book that no, no, no disrespect, but it's not really a kind of a standout moment. Obviously, no. I think there's something about at the start when the police first come to her apartment, and that stands out quite a lot because it's just horrible. You can just see right from the beginning they're like all these empty bottles, and look at this dust here. She doesn't clean, and you can just see straight away. The, you know the case is closed before it's, so that's um that's quite a powerful scene but yeah it's very much a kind of a slow build accretion of kind of evidence the book which uh is it a, is it a mystery in the sense of you know do we do we not know who the you know does the reveal on the perpetrator there, there is a reveal at the end yeah. yeah so you um yeah and it is it is a mystery i mean towards, throughout the book you're not really sure whether she did do it or not mm. and i won't i won't give away whether she did or not and do you, do you feel do you feel that the payoff was yeah what you wanted? You were yeah, happy with it? yeah, yeah. I kind of, I think it's not necessarily a, a payoff that's an enormous surprise if you're following it. There's kind of it's a sort of fairly anticipated one, but that's that's the way. That's that's fair enough. Yeah. So that's um, Little Deaths by uh, Emma Flint, and that was reviewed by uh, Catherine O'Flynn. So uh, keeping with the theme of debuts. Mm -hmm. We're, we're going to be talking with Harriet Cummings mm -hmm. and uh, she's going to be talking about just giving a, a few tips, almost a, a masterclass That's right. for she's, writing novels. She's, she's uh, had a, um, a debut published recently called We All Begin As Strangers, uh, which is a novel set in the 1980s. Um, and uh, if you, we haven't got time to play the full interview, we will have more on our podcast from Harriet talking about the novel. But this is her talking about the process of getting published 
and any tips for people? So this is what I'm listening to now with my five my five hundred my five fifty thousand words of unfinished manuscript. So this is all for me. So in terms of talking to someone who's thinking about writing their first book, I would recommend either doing some kind of course or workshop or just finding a group of people who want to share their work. Well, for me, I did a Faber Academy course, which was six months and down in London. And that, apart from the technical knowledge that it gave me, just got me used to the process of sharing work, either emailing, you know, chunks of a novel or reading out to a room full of people. And I feel that was a really good exercise because... It forces you to get over that terror of sharing your work and, you know, that awful silence of waiting for someone's response. Because, of course, in this industry, you do need that thick skin and you need to kind of cultivate that real self-belief and that real love for your own project, no matter what anyone else has to say about it, no matter how they react you kind of cultivate this real love so that you can share your work and their opinion doesn't mean everything to you. It's just one opinion among many. And ultimately, it's your own drive and your own opinion that means the most. I found the whole process of launching my book quite bizarre, which is something I'm guessing lots of authors say. It's a very strange feeling to have something so personal out in the world for the public to review and discuss and love or hate. And I think it takes time to develop that thick skin so you realise that it's inevitable people have such different opinions on your work. And to an extent, although you appreciate the fact that they take time to review your work, in a way it's best just to treat reviews as this separate room of your house that you never really go inside. You know it's there, but you don't really want to open that door too much because otherwise you get really bogged down with other people's perceptions of your work when really all that matters is your own vision and your own voice, really. Something I've learned about the publishing process is that the everyday reality of being a writer doesn't really change very much. I'm not sure what I was expecting after getting my book deal, I suppose, for it to get easier and for me to have this more innate sense of confidence. But really I've learned that the daily reality is just the same. It's you on your own in a room thinking what the heck to write. And you do need to just have this real drive and determination, apart from compliments and encouragement from the publisher or your agent. You know, it's so much about just you being alone in a room and finding ways to cope with that, really. Um, finding your support network of people that you can go to and complain to or get advice from. Um, so finding ways to cope and make this a long-term thing that you can bear month after month working on this same draft. I would say writing my second novel has been just as difficult in a way because each novel is an opportunity to do something different and take another risk. But of course, it's like learning the process all over again. You can't just replicate the same formula. And so as much as you want to draw on the things that you've learned, you're always trying to seek out something new as well. And that's part of the rush of writing a novel. There's so much to it, but it's also quite daunting. And that was Harriet Cummings, author of We All Begin As Strangers, which is a brand new baby novel coming out uh, out now. It is out now, yeah. And um, and she was there giving some writer's tips. Now, Catherine, mm. what, what tip would you give to... Uh, I want to be writer. I've got two tips. Oh, right. right. One, one, is, uh, one is kind of like you were saying earlier about write the draft. It's a version of that. It's just try and turn off the self, uh, you yeah, know, the self Yeah, the sort of real abrasive inner critic. Try and tone that down a little bit. My, my cynical tip, which I'm, I've decided, uh, you know, is the way to go in publishing is I keep reading books and seeing, you know, sprawling TV multi-part series that start off with a brilliant concept and then kind of dissolve about a third of the way in. Do you know what? And I think nobody cares. You just need the opening concept. All these books you come up with ideas of and you think, I can't actually deliver on that. It doesn't matter. Do you know what? All you need is the... Write a good opening and then... You just need a good premise. Honestly, right, this is one of my massive bugbears. Half a novel. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. You write, you write this amazing concept and you think, are you really big? You go, how are you going to, well, how, how can you solve that? You, go, yeah. you don't. No, no. You don't. There are you let certain it very out. successful books that have oh, done that over the years. Absolutely. And, you know, look, Michael, you, you're sensing a bit of bitterness oh, here because, yeah. you know, you think, oh, well, I wouldn't write that because obviously I wouldn't know how to tie the piece up. You don't need no, to. No, you don't. That's my advice, young writers. No, come it, up with a brilliant concept. But it happens everywhere. It's, it's even in films. <laughs> I was watching that. Um, What's that film where the woman's daughter goes missing on a plane? They go, oh, um, yeah. uh, Jodie Foster. Yeah, something. Right. I know what you mean, yeah. Well, I remember watching the trailer and just thinking, 
wow, that is an amazing <laughs> idea. How, how, what? And it was just halfway point, it all falls apart. Yeah. It makes no sense at all. Yeah. And making yeah. sense just doesn't seem to be That's a not priority a priority. No, so, no. So your advice is keep, <laughs> keep writing, write a draft, and then, to be honest, yeah. once you got past the beginning, don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah concentrate no. on the beginning. Get the write a startling <clears throat> opening half a novel yeah. and then let it do whatever it, it wants to. Yeah. Okay, that's um, a, an interesting twist on <laughs> Michael, yes. what, what about you? Do you have any... Uh, um, <laughs> I, th- I think my, my one my one would be um, don't read Amazon reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, no good can come from reading um, bad Amazon reviews. I mean, even reading good Amazon reviews, it, I suppose it's quite nice and you, you get a little warm feeling, but it, it just makes the, the, the one star feel that much more torturous. Mm-hmm. And just don't, don't do it because, generally speaking, the people who, the kind of people who review books on Amazon aren't going to be your typical sort of readers. They, they, they tend to be frustrated writers who really, or, or just, or, you know, you, you look at the other things that they reviewed and it's like garlic toilet crush. paper and garlic crush <laughs> depressions and, and you just think, I don't care what you think of, of my writing. Thank you very much for it. I like this garlic press, so evidently your opinion means nothing. But the thing that, that Harriet Cummins said there in the corner is, I, I, I find it really hard to imagine having something so personal, something that's so, you know, you're putting your, you know, particularly oh, if you're writing yeah. an autobiographical one, you're putting your personality on there and knowing that other people are judging it and, it's and like, deciding whether or not you're... It's like insane. someone reviewing your children on the internet, mm. right? Uh, quite like the first child, not so <laughs> impressed with the second child, right? Bit of a pain in the heart. That is fighting <laughs> talk, right? You know, oh, it's the same again, is it? Yeah. But slightly different. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, it's fine talk as far as I'm concerned. So don't read Amazon reviews. Um, no one's opinion matters apart from yours and your editors. Um, before we go, um, Sam, as, as, a, as a reader of debut novels and as someone who's on the front line, what, what piece of advice would you give to, to wannabe writers? Um, I, there's a quote actually that I really like from Jim Jarmusch who is an amazing director um, if you haven't seen his films go and watch them right now but he and I'm not going to try and remember the quote because I'll mess it up and do it no justice whatsoever but he talks about the fact that originality is dead it never existed in the first place so don't try and be visionary just own the inspirations uh, and I think that's something that you said earlier Mike, was that you watch lots of films and, and read books that you like to help you get an idea of where you're going to start out from, own that, and then just feed it through the filter that is your personality and your experience, and don't worry about anything beyond that. Um, as, as we've mentioned, you can always tidy something up to prettify it for general consumption, but just write what you really enjoy in your life and own it completely. Don't worry about trying to be a unique and beautiful snowflake, because they never existed anyway. <laughs> Wow, well, oh. Blake is nodding, sagely yeah. taking all with some board. Notes, yeah, well, um, I'm gonna have to change my beginning anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I went straight into the boring prior to the start. <laughs> didn't have that opening third. So um, next month's book, um, it's been a great show. Really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Um, next month's book of the month is going to be the sellout by Paul Beatty, mm-hmm. winner of the Man the Booker Prize, and it is a very very funny book. I'll say no more than Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Right, I shall, I shall take that home and, and try and give it a read. And um, thanks to everybody who has been on the show. Thanks to um, our blogger. Michelle Toy. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, thanks to uh, Stephanie Garber, uh, author of Caraval. And thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Sam. Pleasure. Harriet Cummings. Oh, thank you, Harriet Cummings. And uh, thank you all for listening. I'm Harriet Cummings, author of We All Begin As Strangers, which is my debut novel. It's a dark drama about a small village of people who realise someone is breaking into their homes but not taking anything of value, and things get even more worrying when their neighbour Anna goes missing, and all fingers point to this mysterious person who's been in their homes and amongst their private lives. It was inspired by something that happened in my parents' village in the summer of 1984, A man who came to be known as the Fox was breaking into homes across the Chilterns and beyond. And although he did rape people and he one time shot a firearm, injuring someone's hand, on other occasions he didn't do anything apart from spend time in people's homes without them realising. And sometimes he'd look through photograph albums or other private possessions. 
Other times he'd build himself a den out of blankets and chairs or just make himself a cup of tea to wander around with. And it was this aspect of his home intrusions, his spending time there without people realising that always fascinated me growing up hearing stories about and then provided the starting point to this novel. And I think the idea of the fox always stayed with me because I always wondered, apart from the attacks, why he felt drawn to be in people's homes and what kind of satisfaction or pleasure he got through looking through photograph albums. And so in terms of writing up this story, I wouldn't say it's a historical tale, it's not a straightforward retelling. It doesn't include the more violent elements of what the fox did, but instead looks at his fascination with people's home lives and then the relationships that he creates with these people who realise that he's spending time in their homes but not understanding why. And it took me three months to get together a draft that I was really pleased with. And then the next month, um, my agent and I sold the book. So I think it was four months between coming up with that initial idea and allowing myself to think of this story and actually selling the book. And I think part of the reason why it went onto the page relatively quickly was that I came up with a plan. Whereas with my first attempt at a novel, I had this romantic idea that you sit down and you let the characters tell you exactly what happens and you kind of fumble around in the dark, hoping for something exciting to happen. Whereas with this story, I very much planned out what would happen, for example, at the end, as well as um, for the midway point. And I think that really helped me with the writing because it gave me this sense of direction. I knew this big climactic ending, and therefore I knew which ingredients I needed to kind of bake into the initial stages of the plot to lead to this final point. So the book was originally called Forgetting Anna, which um, my agent came up with, and I thought it sounded like a nice title, but it changed later on. I think the publishing house, as well as the agent and myself, thought maybe Forgetting Anna wasn't distinctive enough. It sounds quite generic, because you get quite a lot of books these days with either the word girl or a woman's name in the title. And when we came up with We All Begin As Strangers, to me that sounded a lot more intriguing and nothing that I'd heard before, so I was excited about this new title. When I held my book in my hand for the first time, it was actually quite a surreal moment for me, because it was something I'd been dreaming of for so long, you know, months since I first got this publishing contract. It didn't feel quite real, and actually since... I've had another nice couple of moments that in a way have meant more. For example, showing my husband the finished article for the first time was great because I dedicated the book to him. And because writing often feels like a bit of a narcissistic thing, it's so much about you, it's so much about you being alone and shutting yourself off from the world, it was great to kind of share this moment with someone else and to thank them for being supportive. And I had another nice moment when the other day I just thought to take off the paper sleeve and look at the actual hardback beneath and the silver embossed writing. I don't know why, but that was sort of this nice, unexpected moment. Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.